Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Environment Minister Stephen Gilwell confirming the federal carbon tax will increase on April 1st. The leader of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce reacts to that news. A third round of talks between Ukraine and Russia end without any major breakthroughs. As the war in Ukraine intensifies, it continues to have a big impact on rising gas and food prices in Canada. We introduce you to some amazing local businesses on this International Women's Day. And is it time for Hollywood to stop rebooting movie and TV franchises? The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We know that on uh, April 1st, April Fool's Day, it's it's no joke, the federal carbon tax is set to rise again. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo also getting ready to reveal Canada's emissions reductions plan. And Minister Gilbo joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Minister Gilbo. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Thanks for joining us this morning. As I referenced, the federal carbon tax set to rise on April 1st. We've heard from the likes of Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown, who was on the show yesterday, about their call for having this carbon tax paused with gas and diesel prices where they currently are. Is there an appetite to delay the carbon tax increase this year? What people need to understand is the way we've set up the carbon pricing system is Canada, that we we recycle revenues to, to Canadian households. So in fact, a household in Ontario or in Alberta or in Saskatchewan will get more money from the federal government through the carbon pricing system than what they're paying for, the, for, for that pricing system. So people are better off with the system than without it. So your answer is no, the, the, the tax will continue. That, that's, that's correct. Okay. Yes, my answer is no. um, what will Canada's emissions reduction plan look like? I know the goal was to cut emissions by 40 to 45% below 2005 levels, I think it was, by 2030. Yep. Is, that, is that achievable? Is that the plan going forward? Y- yes, and I have a, a legislative obligation to present for the first time in our history a plan that will show how, how we get there. I have to table that in the House of Commons by, by the end of the month of uh, the end of this month, the end of March. Um, so the plan will show what it is we've done so far in terms of regulation, legislation, investment. We're talking about more than $100 billion of investment in transit, in electrification of transportation, in green technologies. Um, and and what, what else do we need to do to, to get to, to our target eight years from now in 2030? Uh, Last fall, a Royal Bank of Canada report said to get to net zero, the government and Canadian businesses, who are obviously going to play a big part in this uh, reductions plan, will need to spend $60 billion a year for the next 30 years. That's $2 trillion. With the cost of living uh, the way it is, inflation up, interest rates going up, can, can we afford to do it? I think the real question is, can we afford not to do it? Uh, we've seen over the last few years in Canada and abroad how how climate change is real. Just look at what happened in in, in British Columbia over, over the last year between uh, the heat dome, forest fires, the floodings. Climate change is costing Canadians billions of dollars, and unless we do something about it, the more we go, the the more those costs are going are going are, are going to go up. And it's not obviously just about the cost. But it's uh, what it means for people who, who are faced with, with, with these catastrophes from coast to coast to coast. So I think 
I, I mean, clearly there is inflation happening right now, and, and we need to find ways to, to tackle this. But you know what? Rick, there's always going to be another crisis. There's always going to be something happening, and and we can't let that affect our resolves to tackle climate change. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Stephen Gilbo. He is the Environment Minister here uh, in Canada. Um, while Canada is striving for net zero emissions down the road, other much bigger polluters like China and India don't really have a competitive plan, at least when you stack it up against Canada's plan. Does that impact what your plan is going to look like? Well, I think these countries are doing a lot of efforts to, to reduce their pollution. In fact, I, I, I was talking with the Indian Environment Minister uh, just before Christmas. Um, Canada is, uh, is on the verge of signing a memorandum of understanding with India to see how we can cooperate together on issues such as energy. Um, India has a, a lot of energy demand. They have problems with their challenges, let's, let's call them, with, with, with their grid system. Canada just so happened to have one of the most reliable grid system in the world. So we can work with them to help them implement measures to reduce their dependency on, on coal, for example. And if you talk about China, one out of two electric vehicles that are sold in the world are sold in China. Um, they are doing a lot, but I mean, clearly they, they are a, a large polluter. Frankly, so are we. Uh, we're one of the top, top 10 polluters in, in, in the world. Um, yet our population is certainly not one of the top 10 population in the world. So I think it is a collective effort. Um, and and it's, it's about reducing pollution, but it's also investing to create good jobs, uh, to, to, to build good companies. Uh, ju- just in the last few days, my, my friend and, and colleague, the very active minister, Champagne, has made two announcements uh, of companies that are going to open new plants in Canada to build battery components for, for electric vehicles, including GM and also the, the, the German giant uh, BASF. So uh, it's, it's really good, sound business what we're trying to do. With uh, heavy sanctions against Russia, um, much of this going uh, to its uh, oil um, exports, would you? Be, there has been a lot of talk about you know reinstituting uh, the Keystone XL pipeline. Obviously, the U.S. has to you know agree to that. But would you be in favor of restarting that? No, I, I, I wouldn't. Um, I've I've been talking with uh, a number of people in, in the last few days, including European ministers, and even if we wanted in the short term to to help the the EU reduce its dependency on Russian oil and gas, we really couldn't do it. I mean, we're building a pipeline right now, uh, TMX, which is going in the wrong direction. It's going towards Asia. It's not going towards Europe. It's going to take at least two years before it's it's finished, at least a year and a half, probably two years before it's finished. Uh, There is one natural, liquefied natural gas project being built uh, also on the West Coast. I mean, theoretically, these two projects could provide some uh, some oil and gas to to to, to Europe, but not in, in in the most optimistic scenario. Not before two years, let alone building an entire new project, which would have to go through public consultations, environmental impact assessment, and as we've seen with uh, with many pro- with many of these projects, a lot of local oppositions in in provinces like like Ontario, Quebec. So, what can we do? in terms of green technology to, to, to help the Europeans? What, what, what can we do um, 
to I mean theoretically we could perhaps increase our exports to 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 of crude oil to to the US by some 200,000 barrels um uh, a day and the US could ship more of its oil to 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 Europe but I mean Russia ships 3 million barrels of oil a day to Europe so 200,000 versus 3 million we could help a bit but that, that oil and gas is not how we can we can help our European friends right now. Uh, we are plumb out of time. Uh, Minister Gilbo, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much, Rick. Have a good day. You too. That is Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo talking to us about Canada's emissions reduction plan. And you heard it from him that the federal carbon tax will uh, continue to jump as uh, scheduled on April the 1st. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Regarding the pandemic and the moving forward plan, there are a list of recommendations or is a list of recommendations from the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and Retail Council of Canada releasing this long list to ensure the province enjoys a safe and sustainable reopening. How can we get there? Rocco Rossi is the president and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Rocco. Thanks, as always, for shining a light on this. Thanks for coming on the show to, uh, to to dive into this. But before we get to the reopening recommendations, I have to ask you this. We had the pleasure of chatting with Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo on Good Morning Hamilton uh, last hour, who confirmed that the federal carbon tax increase will indeed go ahead on April the 1st. What impact is this going to have on Ontario businesses? Well, it's huge as you're seeing uh, massive inflation spikes happening uh, in all kinds of areas. And quite frankly, uh, the increase that uh, we've seen in in gas prices um, far exceeds uh, what the, uh, the the tax was supposed to do. So now doesn't strike us as the uh, the best time to be doubling down on adding costs to an economy that is just trying to recover. So the the chamber would be in favor of a pause at this point? Uh, Absolutely. Given all of the increases in uh, costs that are happening, particularly in the area of energy, um, now is uh, is not the time to be adding more cost to business. All right, on to the uh, safe and sustainable reopening recommendations. There are some short-term and long-term targets that have been identified. What must happen in the short term? Well, so much. I mean, the key is that we don't simply want to uh, reopen. We want to reopen in such a way as uh, we're never locked down again, never restricted again. And to do that, um, what we're saying is, look, use every tool uh, that uh, that you have. The, the chamber has been working very closely with the Ontario uh, government, the federal government, and um, distributing rapid tests to uh, to businesses, to small businesses across the province, um, to give them that added layer of confidence, because this is not simply uh, about getting to a better place. We've we've seen, you know, we're seeing all of the great numbers. It's making sure that people understand that it is. Uh, safe to return and that every step is being taken to keep people as safe as possible because simply opening it up 
doesn't immediately mean that all consumers and all employees want to re-engage in the economy. And part of that short-term recommendation, at least one um, line item is, uh, and you, you called for this a while ago, um, we need some clarity on some of the next steps that are coming down the pipe. Uh, absolutely. It is, you know, a plan is not simply around uh, a set of dates. It's what are the actual benchmarks, the levels of hospitalization, of of numbers in the ICU, of underlying uh, cases or wastewater uh, levels that uh, that indicate that you go to different steps or you trigger um, different levels of uh, of reopening and and making that as clear uh, and as definitive as possible really helps in restoring confidence and giving people a sense that it is driven by the data and not simply some arbitrary decision on a given on a given day and that's really important Rick because as you know for some two years we've had you know daily uh, press uh, press conferences around this thing outside your door that's looking to infect you make you sick and potentially kill you and so it's not surprising that there is a significant portion of the population that uh, is still extremely anxious, and we need to be rebuilding that confidence as as strongly as possible. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Rocco Rossi, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. We're talking about a list of recommendations released by the Chamber, the CFIB, and the Retail Council of Canada to ensure that Ontario enjoys a safe and sustainable reopening. Another short-term measure would be boosting consumer and business confidence, which is going to take some time, understandably. Long-term, there's some heavy lifting to do. For sure. I mean, we have all kinds of issues around um, labor shortages that were there even before COVID, have been exacerbated by COVID. And so a focus on skilling, reskilling, and also on uh, immigration, particularly in the area of, of skilled immigrants that currently are in a three-year backlog um, uh, are are things that we need to focus resources on to ensure that it gets solved, because that's going to be crucial to uh, rebuilding the economy and to setting ourselves up for growth as well. Really important, you know, we, we had hallway medicine before uh, COVID, the, the product not just of one government, but of multiple governments over the years. So there are massive capacity issues that have been further um, exacerbated by, uh, by COVID that's led to burnout of lots of, of uh, people within the system and focusing attention on rebuilding and growing that capacity so that we never put ourselves into a position where we have to lock down simply to keep the healthcare system from redlining. Uh, have you received a positive response from the Premier's office? Um, look, we continue to...
to be in conversations. There have been uh, many positive steps taken. One of the ones that we were particularly pleased to see in recent days was the provincial government announcing that as of uh, April 4th, it's expecting um, uh, employees that have been working from home to come back to um, to the offices uh, at least three days a week. And this is a huge positive step that A, sets an example for other industries that um, have been largely working from home during this period because having that um, having that foot traffic, uh, particularly in, in city, city centres like Toronto, Ottawa, London, Hamilton, etc., um, is, is crucial to refill our office towers so that the people are there to go into the restaurants and the dry cleaners and so on. As well, seeing that signal sends a very positive signal around, look, it is, um, it is safe to return uh, to the office, and that is a big part of rebuilding confidence. So we salute the government for taking that very important step. Yeah, looking forward to seeing more people in businesses, uh, not only in this province, but across the country as well. Rocco, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Rick. All the very best. That is Rocco Rossi, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The focus is on the people of Ukraine and our solidarity with Ukraine, our pushing back against uh, the illegal uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and uh, standing up for democracies around the world. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, after his meetings yesterday with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and other officials, and he'll continue to meet with dignitaries uh, across Europe as a third round of talks between Ukraine and Russia ended yesterday without any major breakthroughs. The two sides did agree, however, that humanitarian corridors in Ukraine will be used to get citizens out of harm's way, and we're seeing some of that develop as we speak. Our next guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Christian Luprecht, professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and a fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institutes. Good morning, Christian. How are you? Good morning. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Europe this week for talks with uh, several leaders uh, throughout the continent. Is this trip just a show of solidarity or is it going to lead to anything more, do you think? No, I think Canada had to, because Canada has contributed significantly less than many of our much smaller and less prosperous allies. So Canada currently has a reputation challenge. So I think the prime minister going um, is a signal to allies that Canada is taking this more seriously than Canada's recent announcement would suggest. And uh, I think the the prime minister needs to signal that he understands the gravity of the situation um, uh, on on the ground. If you compare Prime Minister Johnson's, Prime Minister Ruddy's and uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's statements yesterday, my Prime Minister Trudeau's statement sounded a little bit like he was in an election campaign, whereas Prime Minister Johnson, Prime Minister Ruddy clearly saw this as an existential threat, what's happening in in, in Ukraine. So uh, we'll see. But there are real coordination issues because there's so many countries who are now piling in in terms of supporting Ukraine. We need to figure out who's actually going to do what, who's going to lead on what, who's going to support what, and also relative to what we are able to offer, what do the Ukrainians actually need, and how do we coordinate the needs on the ground 
with what different countries have to offer here. And of course, Canada has a bit of a challenge in the sense that it is not part of the European Union. So that's why it's coordinating particularly closely with the United Kingdom, which has long been our closest defense and security partner in Europe, both as a member of NATO, as well as a member of the the only European member of the Five Eyes security and intelligence community. And it looks like uh, the Dutch prime minister was there because the Dutch seem to be the country that is mediating the effort by some of the outside uh, countries outside to the European Union with coordination between NATO and the European Union efforts. So there's a lot of conversation going on about how do we make sure we don't get in one another's way and that we achieve optimal effect. Is any one nation taking the lead as, I guess, the final funnel into Ukraine? So clearly Poland is at the front lines, certainly of the um, of, of the NATO supply lines into Ukraine, and in particular into Kiev, just by virtue of the fact of where it is located, uh, but also uh, because it's... Um, um, so so the, the geolocation is critical. The Polish capacity is critical because it is the largest country in that neighborhood so it has capacity that some of the smaller countries simply uh, simply don't have but Poland also realizes that if the Russians take Ukraine it now has this very long border uh, with effectively uh, Russian controlled Ukraine so Poland also has a very clear interest in making sure that doesn't happen but Poland of course also has been the main in recipient country of refugees and will continue to be so. So Poland needs our support on a whole uh, on a whole host of fronts here. Um, and so that's, I think, where Canada is trying to figure out what its best contribution here might be. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Christian Luprak, professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and a fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. We've learned this morning that buses packed with people fleeing Ukraine uh, at least a couple of cities in Ukraine, if not more, along these safe corridors or humanitarian corridors. This is great to hear, but how important is this new development? Well, it suggests that on the ground, Ukrainian and Russian commanders do appear to be talking to one another. For these ceasefires to hold, you can't negotiate them at sort of the 30,000-foot level. You actually need to have the local commanders talk to one another, and you need to have significant trust uh, that neither side is going to use a ceasefire to reinforce their lines, that the ceasefire will be used exclusively for humanitarian purposes. It seems that uh, that trust is not there in, in southern Ukraine, but it does seem to be able to be there um, in Sumy and in Irpin, that is sort of on the on the sort of more sort of northeastern sort of uh, sort of side of uh, of Kiev. So that is sort of a glimmer of hope uh, when the sides at least are talking to one another uh, in between the shelling, and it might be a broader indication that. Uh, perhaps the higher level conversations are also making some inroads towards achieving some sort of ceasefire to try to stop this insanity. I mean, the Russians must understand that uh, countries such as Canada, of course, NATO, the European Union and partner and allies are looking at considerable political, economic uh, and military containment of Russia, uh, while at the same time providing humanitarian, economic and military aid to Ukraine and to European in allies and that the Russians likely cannot sustain this over the long term. Christian, great stuff as always. Really appreciate the time today. It's been my pleasure. Have a great morning. You too. That is Christian Luprecht, professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University, also a fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. 
You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It wouldn't take much for fuel to go to uh, $2 a litre and, of course, uh, much higher for diesel, which the world needs, regardless of whether you drive a car or not. Um, it looks like uh, that $2 could be you know, touched at some point. No! Dan McTague from Canadians for Affordable Energy. No, 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 no. What's that Michael Scott meme? No, no. Gas prices going up, up and up. 20 cents over the last week or so. All as the war in Ukraine intensifies, it continues to have obviously a huge impact on gas prices in this country and also food prices. To break it all down, we're joined by the co-host of the Peak Daily, Jay Rosenthal. Jay, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. New this morning, we're hearing that uh, energy giant Shell says it's going to stop buying Russian oil, uh, natural gas. It's going to shut service stations in Russia. Your thoughts on these new developments? Well, that's good news, I think, to put economic pressure on Russia. It may be challenging news for all of us, which I think we're seeing at the gas pump, is that all of this uncertainty and really the world shutting off Russian oil is uh, driving prices everywhere else around the world. And so our commutes just got a lot more expensive, and so did almost everything else. Yeah. How much of the blame goes to the war in Ukraine, or are there other factors? I think there's lots of other factors, and it predates really the war in Ukraine. I mean, the, you know, the pandemic really put a stretch on supply chain issues and labor shortages, uh, and inflation is playing a role as well. And then fuel prices, right? Like it's it's uh, it impacts everything we do, and we really realize that, as you said at the top, with two dollar per liter gasoline, uh, it really changes sort of how people think and go about their day and what they see on shelves and how much they pay and all those things. I mean, there is a real impact to people's lives when gas prices are so high. It's absolutely maddening to think gas is $2 in Vancouver. What are the chances Ontario drivers see that price tag in 2022? Well, I was just reading the star over coffee this morning. um, And uh, it says gas prices could easily last a year and even go higher experts warn. So I, I think it's I think we're likely to see it. I think they're likely to go up. I think they're likely to go up for a long period of time. And I think it is this general sense of uncertainty about what's happening, certainly with Russia invading Ukraine, with uh, overall supply chain issues. Um, and I do think we will see prices rise. I'm not a gas price uh, prediction expert, but I think what we see in Vancouver could uh, play out uh, around the rest of the country. Um, and it's time to really re-up your Presto Pass for TTC. <laughs> if you haven't already done it, I, I just checked as we were waiting to come on. I was checking the balance on my Presto Pass here in Toronto. That's a good call. Uh, Jay Rosenthal <laughs> is the co-host of The Peak Daily. You can hear it uh, weekdays, 727 a.m., 427 p.m. here on 900 CHML. Um, when it comes to food prices, are the same factors at play? I think they're the same and maybe even more. Um, like we saw during the pandemic, real supply chain issues just actually getting you know product A to place B uh, in a timely fashion. Labor shortage is coming out of that, especially sort of the, the low-end wage workers of our economy have found lots of jobs and there's, there's lots of gaps in that. So it's sort of supply chain issues overhang from the pandemic. There's a labor shortage on some of those jobs that get food to our tables. Um, inflation plays a role in that. Fuel prices will continue to play a role in that. And there's actually, it played itself out interestingly, and we talked about it on the peak daily between Frito-Lays and Loblaws. Frito-Lays wanted to get paid more for their products to be on Loblaws shelves from Loblaws. And Loblaws said no. And they said, you know, we're going to fill your, that shelf with someone else because we are having a price dispute. And Loblaws sort of played the heavy on that, <laughs> actually to the benefit of Neil Brothers here in Ontario. But you see this playing out that companies are well, not necessarily increasing prices just because, but increasing prices because they're seeing increased costs. Um, 
but there is some pushback, uh, certainly from the largest uh, sort of uh, grocery chain in the country. So we've seen it sort of across the board and it does impact, you know, it impacts the price of milk, it impacts the price of Frito-Lays, it impacts the price of gasoline and, and on down. Got about a minute. Uh, earlier on in uh, the show, we had Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo, who confirmed that the federal carbon tax will indeed go up on April the 1st. Uh, thoughts on the impact on business? Well, I think, look, we have to balance sort of uh, the impact on business and our lives and the environment as well, right? This is not sort of a single issue uh, country or we're not single issue people. And I think, you know, we, we have to go about with with curbing emissions from uh, from all sources, uh, because this I think there's probably a short term blip on, on, on fuel prices and inflation and the cost of things that are on the shelves. Uh, but the long term impact of environmental change is is you know, incredibly damaging. And this will just play itself out more and more if we don't do something about it. So I think, you know, that that makes sense to me. Um, I'm just surprised that I'm on the same show as as the environment. That, that feels <laughs> I'm going to tell my mom uh, when I get off the show uh, that plus a lead in from Olivia Rodrigo. That's a pretty good day for me. There you go. Uh, today's peak <laughs> daily podcast. If you missed uh, the snippet on uh, CHML, you can download the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast, a special International Women's Day episode as well. Jay, thanks for the time today. Thank you. Jay Rosenthal is the co-host of The Peak Daily, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. When we come back after the news, we are going to shine a mighty big spotlight on women business leaders in this community. It's the Women Mean Business Contest Grand Prize winner. It's coming up next here on Good Morning Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's International Women's Day, shining a spotlight on some fantastic women in our community and in our world. Speaking of which, that's going to be one of the focuses on the Bill Kelly Show coming up today. Women in Canadian politics, media, and business. Bill will also have the latest from Ukraine. And where is Ontario's daycare deal? Bill Kelly Show, weekdays 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Over the last number of weeks, CHML in association with Sister Station Energy 95.3 and Brother Station Why Would Wait have held a competition called Women Mean Business, and it is culminating here on International Women's Day. Hundreds of entries came in, submitted by friends, family of women-led businesses. So I have 10 businesses that I'm going to profile out of the dozens upon dozens upon dozens that we received. And there's one grand prize winner. And that grand prize winner is going to receive a $5,000 advertising campaign on CHML Y108 or Energy 95.3. So nomination number one, females who side hustle. It provides a place for female entrepreneurs to thrive and work together and learn together. Their motto is collaboration over competition. Odeon Fitness. Claire O'Donnell, the owner, motivates and teaches people to achieve personal goals and increase self-confidence. She does this through positivity and compassion. Brass Beauties. Owner Lisa Espasto is uh, always has an amazing attitude and promotes body positivity to women of all shapes and sizes. Lisa runs a business that cares so much about the girls and doesn't do it for the money, but to make every woman feel empowered themselves. Out of the past clothing. Endlessly passionate about sourcing highly sought after vintage clothing and treats her employees with a highly standard of respect while doing so. Big ups to Tammy Ziegler, the owner of 
out to the past clothing. The Hardy Hooligan, a safe, welcoming space where people can not only get what is probably the best vegan food in the city, but can also support the local suppliers, makers, and the creators that she makes a point of showcasing Stacia Kid, the owner of the Hardy Hooligan. All that's lovely wedding stationery. Owner Amber Trabuco juggles her successful business based out of her home while being a great mom to two young boys. Two Cougars and a Cafe also nominated to owners Elaine Elsley, uh, Elsie and their entire staff. Made up of strong, confident, competent, talented, intelligent, professional, business savvy, street wise women. Allure Fitness, providing a space for women in the community to get together in a positive way to get fit and have fun. Ladybird Animal Sanctuary. Owners Lisa Wynn, Melissa McClelland, and Janine Stoll, all three of these wonderful and compassionate ladies are inspirations for animal lovers of this city and beyond for rescuing, fostering, getting medical care, and forever homes for thousands of unwanted animals in this city. Cafe Orange owner Mina Falcone has been an inspiration as a female role model and an entrepreneur. And that brings us to our grand prize winner, a $5,000 advertising campaign on CHML, Y108, or Energy 95.3. And the winner is Cake and Loaf Bakery. Owners Nikki Miller and Josie Rutterham, they have... Given me a chance, as Skylar Gowans, who nominated Cake and, Lo- Cake and Loaf Bakery, they've given me a chance at employment after being out of the workforce for several years and focused their business around being sustainable, supporting local, and paying a living wage. Congratulations to all the nominees. Happy International Women's Day to all the amazing women in our lives, and congrats again to Cake and Loaf Bakery. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Batman stole the show at the weekend box office, as expected. Not too surprising about that. But what is surprising is the latest movie about the Cape Crusader, uh, which is one of a number of different variations that we've seen about Batman. So why are we still being fed these reboots and redos? Let's ask our experts, Bill Brio, TV critic and author who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Rick. I guess I should start with Holy Reboots, Batman. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> you are so right, Commissioner. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I. Um, it, it is crazy. I mean, I'm old enough to have grown up with uh, the original, the real Batman, Adam West. And uh, so it, it's just, it's fascinating to me because um, every time there's a new Batman or a new Spider-Man, the stories now are darker. They're much darker. This new one, I haven't seen it yet. Apparently very dark and very long, right? These movies are longer and longer. So um, it says something about the world we're in and society and and everything else, I guess. But um, I I miss the old days when Batman was a little bit more of a comic book character. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I I haven't seen the movie either, but they seem to get darker and darker. Uh, You know, the Joker came out a few years ago, and that was a wonderful movie, but it had a really dark lens to it. Yeah. Um, when it comes to reboots or, or redos, it, it, it just feels like, you know, I'm 40 plus nearing 50, that you know, Hollywood uh, TV networks have targeted the 40 plus crowd with a lot of these productions. Yeah, and um, you know, it, we're looking for distractions from today, I think. You know, the, it's not, you watch, you turn on CNN, you, you follow anything on your phone, and the headlines are so... Uh, 
disheartening and frightening um, that I think um, anything that can just pull us out of today. And, and I think part of the appeal of, nostal- of Batman or Spider-Man is nostalgia. But so with all these reboots, you know, yeah, you know, so let's go back and watch uh, the Connors from uh, that we grew up watching 30 years ago mm-hmm. or, or any number of examples of uh, reboots of film or TV works. Uh, but not just that. I like all the documentaries. And right now, if you're nostalgic for 1970, you've got 15 documentaries on the Beatles or uh, Crosby, Stills & Nash or Joni Mitchell or all these musicians, but also Muhammad Ali or Julia Child or Lucy and Desi. Uh, it's all from uh, you know the night you know mid mid nineteenth uh, century, you know like the twentieth century, and uh, I guess it was just a time that we hearken back to and have uh, different memories of. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Bill Briou, TV critic and author. We're talking about the Batman and the various reboots that have come across our TV and movie screens over the last number of years. From a, um, I guess from a Hollywood standpoint or even a, a TV executive standpoint, if it works, if people are watching this, if people are spending money to go to the theater to watch movies like this, don't break it. Yeah, and it's all about cutting through the clutter. You know, there's so many other ways to be entertained now. Uh, you can be on uh, TikTok. You can be on your phone. You can be on on uh, all these different um, streaming services. And there's so many now, Disney Plus and, and not just Netflix. And so uh, for anybody who has a show, how do we get your attention? There's literally 550 new scripted series that are coming at you every year. It used to be there was a fall season to television. Now it's every single week, every Friday. It's all the streaming launches. Uh, so, yeah, you better know what this is or have some reason to watch it. And that's why you're rebooting Batman or Spider-Man or the Avengers. Uh, these are known quantities, and people have a built-in interest to them, and that's why they keep making them. Not all reboots are the same. Uh, we've had uh, several you know, TV shows or, or movies kind of redone. The one that has really, I think, caught a lot of people's eye, and I'm not sure how it's doing ratings-wise, but it is very much different than the original. We had years and years ago The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The latest yeah. installment, Bel-Air, is much different. Is that a is that just the producers kind of going on a, out on a limb or just wanting to tell the story in a much different way? You know, and one of the producers is Will Smith, right, of the new Bel Air, uh, which is a drama. It's not like a sitcom, which is what the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Well, you watch that because you love the theme song, and you know it was just the funny characters. Now it's a guy struggling who's come from Philadelphia to L.A. Um, and it's very dark, um, and that's just part of this trend. I think that TV is trying to reinvent their brands. They own the intellectual property. It's cheaper to remount it, but let's give it a spin or a twist or something that will um, uh, not just bring back the people who watched it the first time, but also appeal to uh, younger people who uh, don't, who never saw The Fresh Prince. What's the best thing you're watching right now? Uh, winning Time, the rise of the uh, Laker dynasty. It just launched on Sunday. Uh, it is, uh, we're talking about going back to the 70s. So here's 1979, uh, Dr. Um, uh, Buss is about to uh, select uh, Magic Johnson and uh, the casting of the St. John C. Riley, who was in Stan and Ollie as Oliver Hardy, and he's done a lot of you know comedy films with Will Ferrell. He plays uh, Jerry Buss. Oh my goodness, what a performance. 
Sally Fields in this, Adrian Brody. Uh, it goes on and on. Michael Chiklis. It's just so much fun to watch. And even if you're not into basketball, it is 10 episodes that you'll just really be hooked on. Well, looking forward to seeing that. Bill, thanks for the time today. My pleasure, Rick, anytime. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.